All right, welcome to another episode of Restoring Your Voice. I'm your host, Pastor David. So glad that you could be with me today. Uh, so you'll be seeing this air on a Tuesday, which is interview day when I air the interviews. And today I have with me uh, Dr. Joe Martin. And we're going to get into what does a real man look like specifically in Christianity. So uh, stay tuned for that. your voice with me your host i'm going to help you use your god-given voice i'm going to equip you for the good works of jesus and prepare you for the return of jesus i'm going to do this through hitting up hot biblical topics problem areas in the body of christ in the charismatic in other areas of the body of christ in an attempt to help bring clarification Purity, consecration, in love, and patience as the Bible commands. I'm going to have special guests on that are going to equip you and edify you through their stories that give God the glory where you'll get different viewpoints and different areas because we're all one body and we all have a piece of the puzzle to share with one another. So I look forward to you watching, listening, and interacting All right, with that, I'm going to bring on my guest, Dr. Joe Martin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pastor Dave. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I can't wait to get into this topic. But before we do that, why don't you give the folks a little bit of intro about yourself and what you're about? Well, I'll give them the shortest version I possibly can, which um, we can always unpack other stuff um, that you want to get into. Right. But I, I, everybody has a story, Pastor Dave, and my story is pretty simple. I summarize it this way. I went from um, rags to riches to ruin to redemption. Um, I grew up in Miami, Florida, in one of the toughest inner city ghettos in Miami, Florida, the son of a teenage mother who had two kids by the time she was 17 years old uh, with no father in the home. And the rags part included all the stuff you ever thought about. Um, that kids have to go through living in the inner city. Um, if the listeners out there have never heard of Liberty City, Liberty City has been, um, if you're under the age of probably, if you're under the age of um, 40, you've heard about it through Grand Theft Auto, the video game. <laughs> but if you're over the age of 40, you probably know what Liberty City based on um, old school rap, two live crew. <laughs> oh, I um, they grew up, yeah, they grew up in my neighborhood. But um, with that came violence, drugs, addiction, abandonment abuse, you name it. That was the rags part. The richest, the um, richest part is that I was able by the grace of God to get out of that environment. I was the first person in my family to graduate from high school, um, let alone go to college. Um, barely got into college because I wasn't um, very academically inclined in school, but I was desperate and I had to go to a community college. But I ended up um, um, graduating top of my university class when I transferred to a four-year school, graduated early at the age of 20, top of my class, um, bought my first home when I was a senior in college, moved my mom out of the projects a year after I graduated, started my first business, a clothing store at the age of 22, um, became the youngest professor ever hired to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24, worked for the Florida governor's office as a communications director at the age of 26, had my doctor degree by the time I reached the age of 28, had written two books by the time I reached the age of 30. So even though I say rich, I wasn't like wealthy, like Jay-Z rich, <laughs> right, but considering right. where I grew up in the projects and all those achievements by the time I reached the age of 30, that was a pretty huge accomplishment. Um, but at the same time, I said my story went from rags to riches to ruin. 
The ruin part is that I had achieved everything I ever wanted to by the time I reached the age of 30, but I lost it all by the time I reached the age of 40 mm. due to my own personal issues and addiction with pornography and women. And I it, uh, grew into a full-blown sex addiction that ruined a 16-year marriage. I got married at the age of 22 mm. and had a son and I ruined my life pretty much. Um, she didn't find out about my addiction. She didn't find out about my past because I never even told her what I grew up through um, until I was 13 years into my marriage. So the three years that lasted after that was me trying to fight for the marriage, but not getting the help that I needed. So I pretty much hit rock bottom by the time mm. um, I reached the age of 40. But I met a man when I was getting um, entering into my 40s after I lost my marriage that changed everything. And he discipled me. He mentored mm. me. He took me under his wing. He was a man who had who made less money than I had. Um, he's not even on social media. Um, he wasn't famous. He wasn't well known, but he had eight kids and he was married. And I got a chance to live with him for a week doing one of my visits, my speaking visits when I was traveling uh, for a week that changed everything for me. And that's when I saw for the first time what a real man was, because mm. I realized that I was a very successful male by America's standards. Mm. But I was succeeding as a male, but I was failing as a man. And I didn't even know that I was failing, that how I was failing. And there's one thing not to know, but there's nothing when you don't even know what you don't know. Right. And when I met Howard, that's when I realized what I didn't know. And I humbly asked this man, after all those achievements, I humbly asked this man, hey, I know you got eight kids. Would you just adopt one more? And he agreed to, and he's been my spiritual father now for the last 16 years now, going on 17 years since my divorce. Because now I said the redemption part came meeting him and God restoring everything that I lost and gave away and forfeited when I was in my 30s. Um, so now one of my things that I do, God took me out of the field that I was in, which was education. Um, and after I met Howard and Howard challenged me to go make disciples to do for me what he would uh, do for others, what he did for me. And so I accepted. I picked up the baton. Now I'm making it seem as if, oh, he asked me to do it. And I immediately did it. No, Correct. I fought it for seven years. I said, no way. <laughs> I said, I'm not working with men because my history with men has always been betrayal of trust. Mm. I was sexually abused by a man for three years when I was a child, um, being abandoned by my dad when I was only two years old, watching men um, just brutalize women growing up um, in Liberty City, listening to the music that also brutalized women and marginalized mm. women and exploited women. So I didn't have much trust for men, but I realized what one man did for me. And I couldn't cast this whole shadow on all men because look at Howard. And so after seven years of running away from God from doing it, I accepted and picked up the mantle. And God uh, took my little bit of obedience and turned it now to a global worldwide ministry called Real Men Connect. And where I host a podcast just like you, um, Pastor David, and um, we're now the top rated podcast in the world on Apple um, Podcasts for Christian men. Mm. Um, we just um, went past 2.2 million um, downloads of our podcast. And that turned into me launching a community for men like me who are trying to write their comeback stories, or at least trying to get them to avoid having to write their comeback stories. So that's the ESPN version and highlights. There's a lot of stuff. If anybody wanted to unpack, they could, but each one you can see is a, a major chapter, mm. the rags part, the ruined part, you know, um, the riches part, the redemption part. And that's, um, led me to where I'm at today, working in mm. real men connect. Uh, that's awesome, man. I, I, I mean, I may not be able to connect with every detail in that story, um, but definitely, you know, I was I was somebody who grew up very, very rough, you know, a father who was a very abusive and so on. And 
you know, eventually I, I myself was addicted to pornography um, mm -hmm. and it almost, almost completely ruined my marriage. And, um, and I like how you highlight about real men, right? You, you said, you talked about how, and you know, according to the world, Hey, you were doing everything a guy was supposed to do. Right. But, but you weren't a real man. That's where you, that's where you had failed. So I guess we should start off with that. What, what is, what would you say that the biblical definition that's what we're that's where we base things off of the biblical definition what's the biblical definition of a real man for you you know and david i've been invited to people on a lot of podcasts and typically when they bring them and they ask me about that they, they leave out that part the biblical mm. definition of manhood because the problem was yes i had um achieved the american dream i did what the culture told me to do which was man if you work hard keep your nose clean because i didn't have any criminal record even though most of my i had a dozen friends doing time in prison that i grew up with and so keep your nose clean. Don't get in trouble. I was, quote, a good kid, right. even though I was going through a very rough and bad situation that most people didn't know about. I was suicidal from 12 to 16 years old mm. uh, because of the abuse and everything. But I I was a, quote, a good boy. I, 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 you know, I was respectful. I was yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I went to college. I studied hard, got a great job. You know, uh, and I did everything. I had good credit. <laughs> you know, mm, I did everything right. they told me to do. And I thought I made it. But what I realized is that I was basing my definition of manhood on what society says a man was, which is if you're a good provider, I call it the Asians. Okay. Um, the Asians are, are this. This is what we think man, uh, a real man is. And then we're going to give you the biblical definition, what, how it's totally different than how God sees it. Mm. But what I had achieved was the Asians that pretty much every man wants to achieve. This is what you need to be a real man. Asian is what do you do? Have a good occupation. Okay. Get a good education. <laughs> Check. Right. Now watch me go through the checklist. Great yeah, occupation. Yeah. I was a professor. I was a communications director. I was an entrepreneur and business owner. Check occupation. Education. Got more degrees than a thermometer. Okay. Right. <laughs> Had my doctorate degree before I was 30 years old. Check. Compensation. Man, I was making over a quarter of a million dollars when mm. I was only 20-something years old. And not dunking a basketball, not you know, entertaining about it. it was based on just sheer hard work and the God, the gifts that God gave me, not right. an entertainment. So compensation, check reputation. How many people follow you on Twitter? How many people know who you are? I have written mm. books. I had my own television show, had hosted a radio show before there was podcasting, had my own radio show for teachers and educators. So check reputation. I'm no, and also the reputation go into how many women can be attracted to you and how many women can you get with? That's reputation. And then intimidation. How many people feared me? How many people respected mm. me as a man? And a lot of times we look at intimidation by physical strength. How many men can I beat up? Right. You know, that kind of thing. And so based on that checklist, I was a pretty successful man. No, I was a successful male by the world standards. Mm. But if you really want to know what a real man is, Pastor, if you hit it right on the head, we can't ask, we can't ask the, the thing. You got to ask the maker of the thing. Amen. When you decide, God, when you breathe air into Adam's lungs, what you define what a man is, and Adam failed miserably. Mm. But there was one man who succeeded perfectly, and that right. was Jesus Christ. So when people ask me, Joe, what is a real man? I said, Well, first of all, it's not my definition. Mm. Who am I to define what a real man is? But I know one thing, and I learned this from achieving even in the world. If you want to be successful at anything, um, at anything, you find someone who's already been successful at it. And you find out, hey, 
you you imitate, you duplicate, you multiply what they're doing. So I look to the perfect man, and that was Jesus Christ. So what is a real man? First of all, a real man, looking at Jesus' example as the blueprint, a real man leads his family spiritually. He leads his family spiritually. He rejects passivity. He takes initiative. That's what Adam didn't do. And people say, well, Joseph, um, 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 Jesus wasn't a, uh, he didn't have any kids. He wasn't married. No, but just because you don't have any kids don't mean you have a, you don't have a family. Hmm. He still had a mom and a dad. He still had brothers and sisters. He still had cousins. He still had disciples and he didn't just take a passive approach. He led them spiritually by the example that he said. So a real man leads others, um, leads his family and others spiritually. Also following Jesus example, he loves and serves others sacrificially, mm. sacrificially. He accepts and takes care of his responsibilities. Now you see how this is differentiating from what we see in society because right. you have men who are millionaires who don't take care of their kids. Yeah. You got who, who are denying their kids, don't have great relationship with their kids. But what do we say? Jesus loves and serves sacrificially. That means he's putting others needs above his own. We, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have the gospel if Jesus didn't love and serve others sacrificially. He said the greatest right. among you must be your greatest servant. You want to be great? Then serve more than other people do. Mm. Serve more people. So he loves and serves others sacrificially. Jesus also taught us that you must leave an eternal legacy. Mm. It's not, you know, we live in society. It's about leaving generational wealth. That's good. You should take care of your family. But what difference does it make if you leave your family all this wealth, but none of your faith? Right. They're not walking in the footsteps of, of the faith that you had. Good example. Let's leave because obviously we're living in Jesus' legacy of faith. We wouldn't be here otherwise. Right. But let's more more practical example. Look at Abraham in the Bible. They call Abraham the father of faith. Now, that's what a what a great title to put on a man. Say, wow, we should have the faith of Abraham. Look how he was willing to sacrifice um, um, Isaac when he you know when he was given a child. But let's look at let's look realistically. Abraham also had some issues. Yeah, sometimes he acted like a straight up punk, <laughs> you know, <Right? laughs> fearful. But here's the thing: what do we remember most about Abraham? It wasn't his cowardice. His bad days, we remember his faith, and he has a legacy of faith. Now put that in um um in 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 just a position to um Adam. What do we remember most about Adam? He failed, he was passive, he wasn't there when Eve, and then now Adam to me got gets a bad rap. You mean that's the only thing we remember about Adam? So we he was so every day after that was horrible for him. He was never never did anything right. Now, I'm pretty sure Adam did some things right, but what do we remember based on reading the book? The legacy of faith that he left, which was irresponsibility, mm. abandoning leadership. So society doesn't talk about the legacy of faith that we're leaving. I would hope when I leave that my kids don't remember my degrees, don't remember my 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 the, the inheritance that I leave them, the house and all these possessions. What I'm hoping that they remember and they miss the most was man my daddy was strong in his faith i want my mm. wife to say man i miss him praying for me man what would what would joseph do in this situation what would daddy do in this situation because i was a man of faith and i thank god for the grace and mercy he gave me to rewrite my script because if i would have died years ago yeah what they remember is that wow he was a great speaker and a prolific author and boy he tried all over the country and boy he really liked sleeping with women mm. <laughs> that's 
now that's not what they're going to say about me. They're going to say about the legacy of faith that I, that man, he elevated my faith. Man, when I was around him, he made me look at myself and say, God, I can go deeper and farther with you. Jesus did that for us and he's become our standard. So what legacy of faith are we leaving behind? But here's the fourth thing that Jesus did that nobody really talks about. And this is, I think, in society, we've dropped the ball as men. Not only does a real man lead his family spiritually, love and serve others sacrificially, and leaves an eternal legacy. I don't think there's anybody out there who would disagree with what I'm saying. But this is the full part they will agree with, but most of us never do. He teaches other men how to do the same. Yeah. Yep, discipleship. That's this discipleship. That's the part we're missing. We'll lead others to the cross. You need Jesus. Get you some fire insurance. You're going to you're going to heaven. Right. And we're teaching them how Jesus can be your 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 savior, but we're not showing them how he is our Lord. Ooh, how we teach him, we obey him because not out of out of obligation, because we love him. And Jesus' last words before he left this earth, I'm talking about as he was resurrected, wasn't go build more churches, recruit right. more church members. Man, go feed the sick because they need you. Go feed the poor. Go help the homeless. All that stuff is important. But that wasn't the last things he said. The last words that Jesus said was, go make disciples of all the nations. Think about all the stuff he could have said. Right. But he said that because he knew if you go and make disciples, teach them to observe and to obey everything I've commanded you, guess what? You will feed the poor. Right. And help the sick. Guess what? You will now go reach the loss because he knows that we have to make disciples. But how can you make disciples if you're not leading somebody and showing them how to do it? Right. And think about the disciples that he picked. They weren't perfect men. They had a lot of issues. Yep. And if you ever watched um, the, uh, I guess, the streaming video called The, the Chosen, mm-hmm. when they're talking about the different disciples, you will relate to a lot of disciples like, wow, Jesus chose some jacked up people. Right. But at the same time, that's who he gave this responsibility to because he said, I'm going to walk with you for three years mm-hmm. and I want you to watch me. And they, they ate with Jesus. They laughed with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. Jesus taught them. They asked Jesus questions. How do you pray? Teach us how to pray, man. How come Jesus, how come he responds with gentleness to people who we would turn away from? Mm. He had to watch. He had to decide. He said, watch me. So what we do is that we are a discipleship ministry. We're not a men's group, even though we mm-hmm. cater to men. Right. We walk with men every single day. We're 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year, walking beside men like Jesus did with his disciples. So to me, based on Jesus' model, that's what real manhood is. Mm. Yep. Hey, you know what? I, I, I couldn't put it better myself. You know, I mean, I, I'm a 20-year Army guy. So I always heard drilled into me for 20 years. Lead from the front, lead from the front, lead from the front, mm-hmm. you know. Don't ask your soldiers to do uh, anything that you that you hadn't done yet or you're not right. willing to do at the very least. I love that. And, I, you know, I, I completely 100% agree with you uh, that we fail miserably uh, as the body of Christ with discipleship. Because it's like, yeah, come to the altar. Okay, okay. Like you said, fire insurance, right? Yeah, we bring so them that, to the cross, but we don't teach them how to carry it. Exactly, right? It's like, mm-hmm. and, and maybe, maybe if they're lucky, they might get a Bible. Right. But then after that, what happens? <laughs> right. They're kind of left to figure this out on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 they'll, they, you know, you know, hopefully they'll become part of a local body as the Bible tells us to. Right. But, but that even doesn't get it. Right. I, you know, you can listen to hundreds of uh, Sunday sermons, but it's not discipleship. 
Right. Um, and you know, the, I believe, um, the Bible lays out what discipleship looks like. And so, so now we transition from what is a, the biblical de definition of a, of a real man. So why don't you, uh, tell us what now is the biblical definition of discipleship? What, what does that look like on an everyday level? You know, I'm going to make this as super simple and I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to make it not super spiritual because if God, if Jesus commanded us to do this, we don't need to make it even more complicated. Mm. And so what I what at least what I teach our men um, in our ministry and they get it, they say, okay, that's what I must do. And they realize, oh, he just gave us a simple um, explanation, but boy, that, we're going to need God's grace and mercy to carry that out. All discipleship is, it, all you got to do is look at Jesus. All discipleship is is what you said earlier, follow me as I follow him, as I follow Christ. In other words, do, this is what Jesus is telling this, do what you see me do. Pray the way you see me pray. Fast the way you see me fast. Love one another the way you see me love one another. Forgive your enemies and pray for your enemies the way I do. Extend forgiveness and grace and mercy the way you see me do it. Humble yourself the way you see me humble myself. Serve and wash the feet of those who you're leading the way you see me do it. In other words, disciples, men of God, be you, but do me. Hmm. Do me. So all discipleship is said, do what you see me do. Now, that's the easiest way to describe it, but here's the tough part. Because we look at ourselves and say, who am I to lead anybody else? Who am I? I'm so messed up. I make so many mistakes. And guess what? God has made provision. Jesus is that provision. Right. You In him, you can do anything. Separate from him, you can do nothing. And so, like, no different than I had to learn from being an imperfect husband and being an imperfect father. It's not about failing. Then guess what? Show them how you fall and get up. Yeah. If you don't have all the answers, great. Show them where you go to to get the answers. You don't know what to do? Great. Show them show them the direction of what, how you father filter what you decide to do and what you decide to say. You're mm. never going to do this life perfectly. And God didn't call us to do this life perfectly. He called us to have a perfect heart towards God, That's towards right. him. And so to me, simple discipleship, which we can't get our mind around, is said, be an example, not an excuse. Mm, I like that. If one. we lived our lives that way, we would have no problems with discipleship. But because we, we can be hypocritical, double-minded, right? We live in a society that said, do as I say, not as I do. Do, right. And no, Jesus says, if you want to be one of my followers, you must be able to tell people like Paul, do as I do and as I say, as I mm. follow him. Amen. I like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like discipleship plays so much of a role. Um, I, I personally believe too that people don't want to disciple because it takes hard work. You know, it, well, it, it, takes, it takes it takes them living righteously, right? And no, no, having the right heart towards God. Yeah, well, I'm saying like you know, like you're saying, Jesus was gentle. Like you're saying, he had um the just the twelve apostles. Never mind the rest of the disciples that he had were some knuckleheads, right? Let's just yeah. face it; they they were mm -hmm. knuckleheads, just like we are, right. right? But Jesus stuck with them. You know, I mean, yeah. through the whole thing, you know, oh, you a little faith, he would say to mm -hmm. him constantly. How many times did he did he repeat himself to that? Or or yeah. or you still don't have, get it. Have you not learned yet? Right. How long have I been with you? Have you not patience with them? 
Never yeah. left him. They abandoned him, but he didn't abandon them. And I, I personally think that sometimes it's easier to preach from a pulpit, right? You don't have to actually engage with people mm-hmm. from behind the pulpit, but right. to but to engage with somebody, and um, we'll say on a roughly day to day basis, maybe not every day, obviously, but but a constant basis, right? You have to deal with these people. You have to show that same grace and that same mercy and that same patience and the same everything that that that, uh, that Jesus showed and still shows us today. And I, I believe that that some a lot of people don't want to do that because man, if I have to do that, that means I like you were like comes back to right. So, say as I say and do as I do. I don't think a lot of people want to want to do those things. And Pastor Dave, I'll give you a, a, a practical example of what you're describing there. Um, we have men who come to us all the time, and they're tired of pursuing, quote, the world's way of what success is. And they realize the marriage is not working out right. Mm. Being they're, they're not connecting their parents. And they realize that, wow, I'm like, like Joe. I'm finding myself ABT, that learning disability called ABT ain't been taught. I need to be discipled. I need some men in my life. I need accountability. I need coaching. I need counseling. I need mentoring. I need someone to come alongside of me. And they come in all, Pastor Dave, they come in so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right? And they come in, oh, Joe, you don't know how much I need this. I say, slow your roll. Slow down. I say, now, we're committed to discipling you, but you're you're not really understanding what discipleship really is about. They say, what do you mean? I say, it's the equivalent of this. And this is why we, a lot of us don't get discipleship. I said, it's you and your wife saying, oh, I will. we need to be more hospitable and bring people, invite people into our homes. Mm-hmm. And so we can get to love on them and show them the love of Christ and just love on them and help them go through it and pray with them and everything. I said, doesn't that sound like a great thing? You hear people like, yeah, we need to do that. I said, well, if you want us to disciple you, you're inviting us into your home. Right. And it's going to be great. You're going to have all the nice stuff laid out for us. But then I want you to know that when you invite us in, we're going to be going into your basement, <laughs> checking in your closet, going into your bedroom. We're going to be sitting on the good furniture. We're going to be eating off the nice china. And guess what? You're not allowed to tell us you can't go there. Mm. I don't want you to look at that. You don't. In other words, you have to be transparent and you have to be right. open. And guess what? Isn't that the same thing Jesus is telling us? If you want Jesus, if you really want me into your life, don't just let me sit in the living room. Right. Let me go anywhere I want to go in this house because we love each other. We share everything. That's why I don't like social media. Social media, despite what people say, it's not the devil. But right. what it is, it's only highlight reels. Hmm. It's not real life. It's highlights. Because if you're going to tell me about every vacation you're taking with your wife and how much you love each other, Tell me about the arguments too. Right. Tell me when you're you're sleeping in separate beds. Well, you're when she puts you out on the couch. How come you ain't posting pictures about that? Sleeping on the couch again tonight. <laughs> but you keep showing me your trip to Cancun. And so that's not real life. It's not just the parts you want to see. So same thing, like you said, from that pulpit, hey, I can preach. But let me follow you and your wife in the car after the message when you stepped on her toes with a message that mm. you just preach. I want to know all of it. And right. that's why we shy away from discipleship because we have to be transparent and we have to be open and authentic with people. And sometimes that can be scary because we keep being afraid of being judged mm-hmm. or we may walk in guilt and shame. And so, but when men come to us, we let them know you're giving us access, full access. And I'm giving you full access to my life. Right. They know what I'm battling with and what I'm going through. 
But guess what? That forges the greatest and the strongest relationships because there's true intimacy there. Yeah, and I, I just brought up a scripture because this this is one of my all time. I, I study this like <laughs> you most, uh, you know, First Timothy three, and it tells us here what you just been saying, right? So you know, qualifications over and over here, right? It says here, not uh, let's see, ah. One who manages his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. If a man does not know how to manage his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Right? So I, I believe, you know, that right there is perfectly highlighting what you're talking about. And the thing is, how does somebody know that that, that, that man is managing his household well? Right? Unless, he's, unless he invites people into the house. Into that house. Right, right. How do they know? And, see, and, and we keep thinking that, oh, so to qualify, you got to leave your house well. Leaving your house well don't mean everybody's following. Right. Oh, let oh, I, I should write that down. <laughs> let me say that again. Oh, somebody needs to hear that. Man, the Holy Spirit just jumped up in my heart. Mm. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Some man needs to hear this. Mm. Leading your house well doesn't mean everybody in your house is following. God did not call you um, to be successful. He called you to be faithful. Mm. So even if, if you're leaving your house well, your wife may still have a hardened heart. Your children, children may still be disobedient. That doesn't mean you're not leading well. The, what, what determines whether or not you're leading well is are you setting an example of what it looks like to follow Christ, even if no one follows? Think about it, Jesus led perfectly. And guess what happened when he went to the cross? Most of them turned away. So was Jesus a failure in his leadership? Did he not lead his family, the disciples, well? No, Jesus led perfectly. They just all didn't obey well. Right. <laughs> they all didn't follow well. So some man, wow, some man needs to know that. Mm. Leading well doesn't mean everybody's going to follow you. But God is going to hold you accountable to leading faithfully. And that's all you got to do. Then guess what? Then you don't have a problem with inviting people into your home because you're setting the example of how right. to lead even when others don't follow. Mm, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Yeah, I think um, we have gotten off track with with that type of teaching you know like we'll say well doesn't the bible say teach a, uh train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it mm. and then we take that to me no no that <laughs> means that i'm a failure if they depart from that i'm a failure and that's not that's not at, at all uh, uh what it means um i know without getting too deep but you know there's certain ways to interpret certain books of the bible mm -hmm. so so they're using hyperbole i believe in, in that so it doesn't right. mean it says, hey, you, you, you do your part. You do your part and, 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 and leave up the rest of God. Leave yeah, the I, rest I, of God. You know, you, I know, mean, you know, one way I get them to connect to this, this sets parents free. Every time I, I tell a father this or even mothers, I said, you're beating yourself up because I'm talking about the good parents. Now. You know what I'm talking about? The parents, the, the parents who are doing it right. They're not doing it perfectly, but right. they're doing it faithfully. But yet their kids end up in prison. The, mm. the, the daughter is choosing an alternative lifestyle. Um, the kid is hung out on, strung out on drugs, going to prison. Oh, I'm a horrible, horrible parent. I can't believe, man, God's not pleased with me. When they know they've been faithful. Right. This is where I get them to understand it and set them free from the bondage of that lie. God was the perfect father. Mm. Perfect father. Look how his kids turn out. True. Adam and Eve. So I guess based on Adam and Eve, God was a horrible parent. Right. No, God did exactly what God was supposed to do. He set the boundaries. He was faithful to them. He loved them, and they decided to choose. He gave us free will. Mm. We're responsible to our children 
to our wives, but guess what? We're not responsible for for their choices, right? God's is responsible to us, but He's not responsible going to be held held responsible for our choices. He's going to let us be held accountable for our choices. He'll let us choose the choice, but He won't let us choose the consequences. Right, absolutely. And so somebody needs to hear that. Stop putting, stop beating yourself up, throwing yourself under the bus. If you've been a faithful parent, hmm. nobody's going to be the perfect parent. God's the only perfect parent. Right. But God has called us to be faithful. And if you're faithful, guess what? You're not responsible for your children's choices. And what we do hope that they will, since you laid that firm foundation, that one day they'll return back to what Amen. they were taught. Yep. That's what you hope and pray. Because there's a lot of praying black grandmamas out there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Kids are doing time in prison. They still praying. God, lead them back to you. That grandmama was faithful. They're not responsible for that kid going to prison. I grew up with kids like that. I mean, some faithful grandparents. And the kids still end up selling drugs, still end up gang banging, still end up incarcerated. And that grandmother, my grandmother didn't think she was a bad grandmother. Right. She loved Jesus. And she she poured her hot heart out to her grandkids. So I tell guys, I said, when you're struggling, you need to get back to praying like a black grandmama. <laughs> <laughs> you like a black grandmama, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm living that out right now, what you're just talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So we got an older son. Um Praise God! Like he he went off and he made a whole bunch of of, of bad decisions, right? Um, on his own. But mm -hmm. you know what? We didn't stop praying for him. No, you no. know we, we we didn't stop that at all. And guess what? So like he he's up in Colorado, but he's coming to live with us here in Texas because mm -hmm. we said, hey, you know what? We're gonna open our house to you. We're gonna open our house and say, hey, get your life right. You know, get get all this life right, get your beliefs uh in order, whatever, you mm -hmm. know, qualifications before you come right. down here. Like, no, you come down here, basically, we'll show you the love of Christ. Right. Right. Without 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 saying that exact word to him. What'd you say? He come down here, our house is open, you're our kid. And you know what? We're gonna work through this together. You because, know, because the shame, the shame and the guilt will keep him away. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, and thank God the prodigal son didn't have, you know, think about it when he saw where he was. He could have let his shame and guilt. I can't go back now to my father. They, you know, and I left and look what I'm doing. I'm so embarrassed to tell him where I'm eating and how I'm eating and how I'm living. He says, no, I'm going back. He humbled himself. Your son has humbled himself to return. Mm -hmm. And you guys are being obedient to loving him back to Christ. And that's all God is asking us to do. That's it. I mean, and and when, when what happened? When that prodigal son returned on, what happened? The, the father, father said, hold, hold up, said, hold up, you gotta clean that off of you first or something. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah dude you, ran you, out. you got a stench on you. I don't like the way you smell. You where you right. been hanging? No, no, nah, he was like, Here, here you go. Come here. I'm a he he embraced him, it says. Yes. He, yes. he clothed him in royalty. He said, In fact, hey, get all the finest food that you can think. Yeah, we're gonna have a party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this party gonna be lit. We're gonna have a great party. My son has returned. I love right. it. I think I think we need to realize that because you know, life is messy. I don't yeah. care who you are, you know, you could be the worst from the worst sinner to the greatest preacher of all time. Life is messy regardless, regardless. And we got to realize that we got to be willing to, uh, I mean, I don't even say step into the trenches with people, you know, mm -hmm. you know, come alongside them, say, you know what? I, I got your back. Right. You know what? We're, we're going to get through this together. Um, and I know that that's, that has, um, helped me out tremendously, the times that I really, really desperately needed that. And so it's going to be a good segue into pornography addiction, right? Because mm -hmm. I said I was addicted to pornography, right? But praise God that 
when I needed it, there were certain men around that could help me out with that. And so you said that, um, I can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, oh, Howard. Anyway, oh, Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said, you said you reached out to this guy. And, and this guy was very instrumental uh, helping you out. And so I don't, I don't know where we should talk porn addiction, you know, because I believe that's not, that's a hot topic. It's not talked about nearly enough in the church at all. Oh, you know, yeah. you know, it's, it's a rampant addiction. Um, I can't remember what the stats are up to now, but um, I know 78%, 78% of men um, who are Christians admit to um, having a porn addiction in the church. And a lot of people think that other 22% are lying, but, um, <laughs> but they struggle with, with porn. And right. I think it's um, a little bit over 50% of pastors, yeah. On a private, uh, Barna did this study. Barna um, did a Christian study on a private confidential study. And over 50, uh, 50 percent of pastors admitted to struggling um, with um, pornography. Isn't that mm. something? Yeah. But yet I, it's not talked about 78 percent of the time in church or 50 exactly. percent of the time in church, if ever. And so. Yeah. yeah where, where's the sexual purity mentioned? You know, right. um, yeah, because the study you're talking about. Um, yeah, I've, I've read that study, by the way. I just I love looking at stuff like that. Um, you know, gives gives me a great idea of, of where things are at, but yeah, it's not talked about enough. Um, maybe, maybe so you know, you you were addicted and everything, and I know there's a whole lot that we could get into that mm -hmm. we you know clearly don't have the time for today. But I think what was instrumental, I should say, in setting you free from that, because I think a lot of men need to hear that. Like, I I don't understand. How am I supposed to get free from this addiction? And, and they're, they're not free because they like it. They're not free because they don't understand how to get free. Mm -hmm. To me, um, there's a lot of things you need to deal with, not just um, porn addiction, but any addiction. Any addiction is rooted into one thing, I believe, one thing. And it's not talked about even in recovery groups. Mm -hmm. I, I was in recovery group for seven years, went through three years of counseling. And not one time did any of these groups ever focused on this, even though those groups helped me. Counseling helped me. Not one ever focused on this one thing. You said, what is the key? And nobody talks about it. Identity. Mm. <laughs> any addiction that we deal with is rooted in a false identity of who we think we are. Because we're raised in this society, raised in this sinful world to believe we are what we do. We are our mistakes. We are our past. We are our pain. We are our abuse. We are trauma. I'm my, I'm my, I'm, we're our loneliness. We're our unworthiness. We're our hopelessness. We either what we do, what has happened to us, what people think about us, what society says, and not once does anybody pause and say, "Okay, I know all of that, but what does what who does God say I am? Ooh. What does God say about me? And what if wait for a past day? What if everything I did and everything I said and how I respond was rooted in what God says I am?" And let me give you a, a simple example. When you go into a recovery group, they have you give your first name. And you say, my name is Joe. I'm a sex addict. Hey, Joe, thank you for coming. And then you share what your inner circle, we call it inner circle and outer circle behaviors. You know, whatever, masturbation, um, pornography, 
prostitution, whatever it could be. You you right. mentioned that in the group, and they say thank you. Well, that guy I mentioned, Howard, when he when I was going through my recovery, I met him, and he was asking me about recovery groups because he'd never been in a recovery group. He he hasn't been addicted to to that, and so and I told him, and he was he says, Joe, wait a minute. When you introduce yourself, you tell them you're a porn addict. I said, yeah. He says, how often do you tell them? That? I said, every time we meet. Mm -hmm. He says, so. So a person who drinks too much, they say they're an alcoholic. I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. A person who gambles, uh, they say they're a gamma, uh, gambling addict. I said, yeah. Whatever addict you put on the end of the word, food addict, love addict, codependency addict, whatever addict. He says, Joe, I don't like that. I said, huh? He says, why are you calling yourself something that God would never call you? And that's when it hit me. That's when it hit me. He says, Joe, when you stand before, if God took your life right now and he called you forward to his throne of grace and mercy, guess what he's not going to say? Can Joe Martin, the sex addict, come up here quick, real fast? He's not going to say that. Mm. He said, why are you calling yourself anything that God's not calling you? And from that day forward, I would go to my meetings, but I stopped saying that. I was scared the first time because you're breaking years and decades of tradition. Right. So when I came in and they're getting around to me, I'm nervous and my knees are shaking. And they said, introduce yourself. I said, my name is Joe. And I'm a sinner who's been saved by the grace of an almighty God from the addiction to pornography, sex, and women. And I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and everybody got quiet. You can hear a pin drop. And it was a pause, like this awkward pause. Like, that's awkward. Right. And then they said, uh, welcome, Joe. And after I did it the first time, it became easier for me to do it the time after that and the time after that. And don't you know, I was in there for seven years. You don't have to be in a recovery group for seven years. I enjoyed it after what? Because I love being honest and authentic with people. They can tell listening to me on this podcast. Right. And but what I noticed that there were hundreds of men who went through that um, recovery program. Do you know, by the time I left after seven years, because I now met a woman, I got remarried and I left to move to another location. I had the longest sobriety, Pastor David, mm. out of everybody in that group and everybody who went through that group. I don't think it's a coincidence when my identity changed. So did my desires. True. And so did my choices. Now, that doesn't say that I wasn't tempted and I'm not. um um, still tempted even to this day. I'm now celebrating this year, February. Matter of fact, fe next week, February the, um, the 8th, will be 17 years of sobriety for me. Years. Now, what I'm not saying that I'm not tempted every day. They True. said, well, what's the difference then? The difference is I'm no longer afraid of the temptation. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid anymore of the addiction. See, I was sober for, for years, but I was white knuckly. You know how you're like, oh, I'm going to yeah. fall today. Ooh, I'm scared I'm going to fall today. Now, I don't wake up being afraid of falling to this addiction. I wake up now that I know who I am in Christ. I wake up enjoying, enjoying Christ and mm. living in total freedom, not afraid to fall in my daddy's arms. Are you True. following? Oh, I'm following. And so I don't want to see people who are even beating addiction, white knuckling it. God didn't promise you a white knuckling life. Here. Right. He wants you to enjoy the joy of enjoying him. And how can you enjoy him when you're always scared? Yeah. You have to be like a little child who like, that's why I use that analogy of falling back in your daddy's arm. Remember when your kids were really young and they, you said, they said, daddy, catch me. And you were scared that you don't know if you're going to drop them or catch them, but they trusted you totally. 
right. that you are going to catch them. God wants us to feel that way around him. So I don't wake up in the morning thinking I'm going to fall to addiction. I don't even have porn filters on my computer or my phone. Now, I'm not telling guys they don't need that. True. But I ain't right. thinking about porn. Exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? Exactly. I'm not focused I, on that anymore. I, I, I'm in agreement with you because it's whole identity. Like when I was going through therapy for PTSD, I even went through an intensive uh, a two-month program for it. Right. But for 15 years, I'll tell you what I heard. Same thing from for, for 15 years, right? They said it's normal. Right. All right. You always have it. And you have to learn to cope with it. Those three things I heard. Oh, hammer, yeah, that word cope. Boom, boom. Mm -hmm. So, so you, so first they're going to normalize something that's not normal. Right. Right. You had an abnormal experience that led to PTSD in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's not normal. Um, then, oh, I'll always have it. That means I can never be free. And I just got to learn how to somehow manage it. Pretty right. much. Right. And that, then, that does not sound biblical to me. No, it doesn't. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you right now because uh, I'm celebrating, uh, well, this month. Uh, I celebrated three years in the Lord. Three years. All right. You know, three years. I mean, I got when God set me free from PTSD instantly. People mm -hmm. are like, are you sure about that? Like, yeah, go ask my wife. Go ahead. Ask her. As if they want you to go back and pick it up. Right. 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 Go, 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 ask, go her, ask her how I used to terrorize my family, mm -hmm. how they were living in fear while I was at home, how, how right. something would set me off and I would do the most dumbest extreme thing, putting holes in walls with a hammer and mm -hmm. breaking it. Mm -hmm. and, and then I, I went completely different. Same thing with the porn addiction I was addicted to, right? Now, I'm thankful for that men's group I attended for, for, for that little season. Mm -hmm. But but they never actually taught men how to live free. There, there were men coming to that group for years addicted to pornography. Years slipping back into it. You know, and and and, and once I got free from it, I can't, you know, I, 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 I'm sitting in the group flabbergasted like, how? How can you not be free? Not much trying to shame them. Right. I know what you mean. Like you're yeah. about Walking, freedom. Yeah, the freedom that God has, has, has promised you. You know, here's, here's another example. I, I'm hoping that they'll get this. Think about you're driving on a highway, okay? And to me, this is how, how silly it is to normalize or to say you got to cope with an addiction. No, addiction is real. Yeah, but it but it goes back to renewing your mind of who you are in Christ. I don't see how people who are not believers make it because I, I couldn't make it if I wasn't a believer. Right. But look at it this way: you're driving on a road. If you're on a highway, you're driving on a road. If you focused on the guardrails, what's going to happen while you're driving? Exactly, your car is going to start to drift, and then you hear that blah, 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 and you're straightening up the car. Because nobody drives down a highway looking at the guardrails and the billboards. They may glance at it, but how do you keep, what's the best way to get to your destination safely? Keep your eyes what? On the road. On the road. Well, to me, God has given us, he says, I want you to have the abundant life. Freedom in me. Now, you're not going to be without trials and tribulations. That's going to happen because you're living in a fallen world. So guess what? I want you to focus on the road. The road to me. Peter, when you're stepping off this boat, look at me. Walk towards me, Peter. But what did Peter do? He looked to the left. He looked to the right. He felt the wind blowing. He, he saw the, the waves start wetting his feet. And he took his eyes off Christ. And then he fell. To me, the guardrails are our addictions. Mm. It's the stuff that they're trying to say you got to cope with. If that's the case, I'm going to always be scraping up my car. Yeah. Because I may still, I may still get there in one piece. But by the time my car gets there, you're like, man, what has this car been through? Right. And that was the difference between me and the life I was living when I was white knuckling it mm -hmm. to now. 
I don't get up afraid like um, the um, addiction is my boogeyman. Yeah. Guess what? The PTSD is always out there. It's there. It's real. But you got to make a choice. Do I become obsessed with fearing that? Or do I focus and put my faith in the Savior who says, guess what? I've overcome the world. And right. my grace is sufficient that even when it tries to rear its ugly head, you have the authority to speak against it. And I'm telling you, you will resist it and it will flee from you. True. So my thing is not just getting guys free from addiction, but to walk in the, the victory and the freedom of loving Christ. That's what, my, yeah, that, that, that's what it's all about. And I, and I, and, and I can exactly hundred percent back up what you said. Cause like when I first started, I had, I had the uh, accountability software, for instance, on my device. Mm -hmm. Why did I Me have too. it? Me too. Because I was like, man, I'm afraid I'm going to give into it. Yeah, that, give you know? into it. And, and I'm not going to lie. Let's just be transparent. I, the only reason I didn't do it because um, if I did something, that means people are going to know about it. Right. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want that to happen. That, that that doesn't keep you free. That doesn't set you free. Right. But but once I got set free, I knew I didn't need that accountability software anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know not because oh, I'm so much holier. No, because I realized the power of God to set men free. And that that was it. And I've been living it out. Like you said, I get tempted every day with this stuff mm -hmm. all the time, you know, boom, boom, boom. But I'm not afraid I'm going to give into it. Why? Because like you said, I keep my eyes fixed on the author and finisher of, of our, our faith, faith. Jesus right. Christ. You know, Pastor David, I, I, I remember um, when I was starting my career, I thought it was going to be impossible for, you know, when, especially guys who can relate to what I'm saying. When you're in it, I'm thinking, God, there's no way in the world. I'm going to overcome this. I believe in you, but help my unbelief. I said, I got a masturbation problem. I got a fornication problem. I got, I, I, this is a, I don't see how this is possible. And so it was always about don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. And the simple thing, when I knew my, found out my identity in Christ, I said, wait a minute. Now that I know who I am in Christ, that means my nature has changed and my character changed because now I define myself based on what he says. And guess what? What he says about me, that person doesn't watch porn. He doesn't right. he, he doesn't have sex with women outside of marriage. And so, God, what are you telling me? If I do the do's, then I don't have to worry about the don'ts. Hmm. We keep focusing on what not to do. Don't drink. Don't gamble. Don't eat. Why don't you focus on the do's? That what he says that you are, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. What do you focus on the do's? You are my adopted, and I've set you apart, and I call you holy. There you go. What if we focus on the, the do's that, guess what? You are beautifully and wonderfully made, and beautifully, wonderfully made, adopted, set apart, holy. Guess what they don't do? Porn. Right. Guess what they don't do? They don't drink till they get drunk. Guess what they don't do? They don't beat on their wives. Not that I'm not capable of doing it, but that's not consistent with who God says I am. So my question to men out there when they're struggling with addiction is this. Who do you think you are? Mm. Now, I'm not saying that in an antagonistic way. No, I'm really serious. Tell yeah. me, who do you think you are? Because for some reason, who you think you are is consistent with that behavior. Mm. But when you start telling me who you are in Christ, guess what? Your actions are different. Your desires are different. Your responses are different. It doesn't even mean you won't fall or relapse. But you guess what? When you fall, you fall towards the cross. You don't fall yeah. away from it. So my question is, who do you think you are? And what God says about me, he says, I'm powerful because the Holy Spirit lives within me. He says, yeah. I'm valuable to him because he sacrificed his only son for me. 
He says, when he looks at me, he doesn't even see my sins. He sees the rightness of his son, Jesus Christ. So when he sees me and I can come to him unashamed, blameless, because he considers me holy. This is my new born again identity in Christ. And as he renews my mind, according to his truth, Pastor David, not my past, not my trauma, not my mama, not my daddy, not where I was raised, not what society says about me, but he's renews my mind according to his truth. He will give me the grace, grace mm. to live, to love and to lead righteously. Yeah. Now, how can a guy like that who believes that about himself now go sleep around with women? Right. How can he do it? How can he now go beat on his wife and beat his kids, abandon his children? My question yep. is, who do you think you are? And does it, it line up with God, what, who God says you are? Love it. Love it. Well, well that's about it. Uh, we're going to, all we have time for today, eh? Um, wow, we had hit up a lot of great stuff, and I really greatly appreciate that. And I love your transparency and your humility. And all that coupled in together with, obviously, the Bible. So before we end, why don't you tell people how can they get in touch with you? If they want to get in touch with me, it's real easy. We were talking about what it takes to be a real man. Real men connect. That's what they do. And that's the name of our ministry. And that's how you can find us, realmenconnect.com. And you can see how you can get plugged in to a community of men who are trying to follow Jesus imperfectly. All right. And all the links to those will be uh, in the show notes in the description. So check that out. Um, hey, hope you all enjoyed this. This is all for the glory of God. Thank you. Thanks for being on, Dr. Martin. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me anytime, Pastor David. All right. With that, we'll wrap up this episode. Be blessed, everybody.